Welcome to the Kumbaya Podcast, the whole woman's resource. I am Dr. Amanda Shipley, a pelvic physical therapist who is passionate about prevention and supporting women along their holistic health journey. This week's episode is a very special one. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving here in the United States, and it's a time in which most of us reflect on what we're grateful for while we're surrounded by our loved ones. Dorona King and Erin Lichke are two people whom I've only recently met, but for whom I am extremely grateful. I invite you to listen to this episode to learn about social devaluation and what citizen advocacy is doing to combat it. Please share this far and wide. The more help, the larger the impact we can have on our friends with disabilities in need and on our community and society as a whole. You can visit kumbayalpodcast.com to check out the show notes for this episode. We will have links to Dorona's website and the upcoming events she mentions during our conversation. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Dorona. I am so excited to have you here with me on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and coming in. Amanda, it is my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you and your audience today. So let's start. I would love for you to tell us about yourself and how you got involved with citizen advocacy. Okay. Well, I am a grandmother of two and a parent of three. And it was back when I was I came to citizen advocacy back when I was raising my my children who are now adults as young children, and I have a my middle child um, was some was a very attached baby, and I thought if I don't get away from this child, I will never get out of the house. <laughs> and I actually went out looking for a job so that we could begin separating from one another. She was she was about not even two years old, I don't think, and I wound up in a work doing something that I'd never seen or heard about disability that began a kind of a journey and inquiry about what I was seeing and met someone who finally helped things to make sense for me and then asked me if I'd ever heard of this thing called citizen advocacy. My answer was no. Right. <laughs> and it actually was just exploration. And um, it was very provocative, the things that I was hearing. And at the time, I actually just picked up the phone and called the person who was the then coordinator, director of a local program here in Atlanta. Actually, she was the coordinator of the DeKalb Citizen Advocacy Program at the time. That was in 1992. Nice. And I've actually been here ever since. Wow. <laughs> you were hooked. You signed up and yeah. the the um what I heard resonated with what I thought were my personal values right. in terms of how people treat one another, how they think about one another, how the world should look. Yes. And for me, um, doing a work that I could go home at night and say, I've done no harm today was really, really important. Oh, that's amazing. What, in my next question, what about your work are you most passionate? Is that Part of it. I think we, um, so Citizen Advocacy of Atlanta and DeKalb is the organizational name. This work takes us into nearly every avenue of our community. Mm. Um, there's no um, 
there's no barrier in terms of economics or politics or culture. So we get to go and walk the landscape of our community, meeting people, some people who are living pretty hard lives Mm -hmm. and some pretty hard spaces, and then meeting people who are living um, really some solid lives, um, doing big things, and get to marry the two and watch some pretty impressive things happen. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's exciting. So for our listeners who, you know, may not have heard of citizen advocacy, and I will admit that I had not before I met you, um, it would be great if you could describe more about it for us. Uh, what exactly is citizen okay. advocacy? When did it begin in Georgia? How is it funded? Things like that. Excellent. So citizen advocacy is one way to bring protection and advocacy and community inclusion mm. to people who are living with developmental disability labels, who may be experiencing situations of abuse or neglect, very often social isolation. Mm. Our, the work of citizen advocacy is literally looking in our community to identify the person most at risk of those things. Okay getting to know them well enough that we can share some of their stories in a very different way, Mm -hmm. Um, not as a professional human services organization, but just who is the person living with the disability? And why then are are they experiencing the world around them in the way that they are? Mm -hmm. And then um, once we can share some of their story and really find out some of the the beauty of who that individual is. We go into our community to find the one person who maybe shares similar gifts or interests Mm -hmm. or who may have a skill set and also the heart or the capacity to say, I'd be willing to get to know this person who has the disability based on the things we more likely have in common Mm -hmm. and walk alongside them as an ally, as a protector, as a friend as an opportunity maker, and that person we call a citizen advocate. So if you boil down the essence of what all of that is, I'm actually a matchmaker. Yes, matchmaker for friends. For friends. So long before there was Match.com, for example, (laughs) there was citizen advocacy. We started here in Atlanta in 1977. Wow. We came out of... um, the work of the Georgia Advocacy Office. Okay. Um, every state um, was mandated in the mid 70s to have some form of protection and advocacy for people who live with disabilities. Okay. Here in Georgia, um, a very, I think, a very progressive for Georgia, particularly at the time, yeah. there were people who understood um, the core of what happens to make people's lives rich. Mm. And that's about who is in our lives rather than what agencies or entities are in our lives. So the Georgia Advocacy Office, like many of the other states, established an organization um, of people who were paid advocates lawyers, um, but they also thought about this very unique entity of what what could happen if an ordinary person could come alongside of someone with a disability and really be an ongoing ally mm-hmm. and could be in someone's life because they want it to be. Right. And while citizen advocacy didn't start here in Georgia, there were people who were responsible for it starting around the world, were right here in, in the metro Atlanta area, wow. and really... Um, 
ensured that that piece was a part of the Georgia Advocacy Office. So in 1977, we began out of the Georgia Advocacy Office mm-hmm. as even a part of them. And very quickly, literally within the six month period, became an independent nonprofit operating with our own boards of director and our own staff. Nice. And uh, the mission has not changed. Citizen advocacy is a way to provide protection and advocacy for a person vulnerable to disability discrimination by having someone who is a non-paid person in their life. Yes. And I think that cute, that's powerful to have non-paid. So you know their intention is there. You know, it, it, there's no financial gain. It's really someone who has a big heart and who sees the value in valuing all the members of our society. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's so powerful. So talking about value, um, can you talk a little bit about social devaluation for our listeners? You opened my eyes to this when we had that conversation a month ago, weeks ago, whenever we met and oh my gosh, just blew my mind. So if you could, could help other people understand this, that would be incredible. So the, the, we, there are just probably like with anything there, there's a language that, um, helps us to understand, um, why we why we even do this work um, we we study in citizen advocacy a thing called social devaluation so social de- devaluation is the way to think about how certain people or people groups get pushed down mm-hmm. and to the edge of the dominant culture it's happened throughout time immemorial. There's always been some group of people in, in, in a society mm-hmm. that never quite makes it to the place in a community where the good stuff happens. Um, we can think about our contemporary culture right now where we're literally on the eve of election day yes. <laughs> in, in America. And we think about who are the people right now who are are feeling oppressed and pushed away from the good things that are happening. Um, And if you're a person of color um, in the United States right now, you probably feel that experience. Mm -hmm. That term, we, we typically think of it as discrimination, but it breaks it down further when you talk about social devaluation. Who is it? uh, There are things in our society that we more highly value than others. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we think about where we are in the United States, um, certainly European features tend to be more highly valued. Mm -hmm. Beauty, physical beauty tends to be more highly valued. Having having a high paying job and finances tends to be more highly valued. Education, highly valued. Physical ability. Right. Athleticism. Athleticism is a highly valued trait. Being able to speak and articulate with words is a value trait. And we suddenly, subtly have these ideals about what we think is a perfect culture, a perfect society, a perfect person. But what that means is anyone who doesn't fit to that mold gets separated and set apart as the other or different. Mm -hmm. It's not new. Since the dawn of time, right. throughout time and culture, social devaluation has happened. If you are a Jewish person in, in Eastern Europe in the late 30s, social devaluation, or a person with a disability, social devaluation, you were pushed down, 
not only down, you were made dead, mm. right? And that is the that is the that is the that is the trek, that is the path that social devaluation can spiral down to is social devaluation. What protects people who are thought of as different, what protects people who are thought of as less than the dominant culture is when people who are walking on sure and solid footing in that culture can actually align themselves with a person who's considered socially devalued. Right. And it's an interesting, I guess, psychological um, or cultural and social phenomenon, because when a person who's living a really good life and is considered highly valued aligns themselves with someone who is not, there's almost a juxtaposition of power. Yeah. That this is no longer the person who is the other and pushed aside, but literally here's my friend who's coming along with me right. and how you receive me is how you receive them. Yes. That my voice becomes their voice. Their voice becomes my voice. And so citizen advocacy is a way to look at this notion of social devaluation of how people can be, can be wounded yeah. for a lifetime mm-hmm. of Two people walking alongside of one another to like deflect some of that wounded yes. woundedness. Well, and you said I think you hit it on the nail too, with like the nail on the head. Sorry, <laughs> with um, the community, the relationships. That is what's so important. You know, we don't survive well in isolation. I mean, that's what they do in places to punish people is isolate them or you know mentally feel like you're isolated. Tell us how does citizen advocacy work. How does okay. that whole process happen? So I, um, we are we are a small nonprofit. In fact, there are five citizen advocacy programs throughout the state of Georgia. Mm. We all operate as independent organizations. We have our own boards. We have our own staff. Our missions are exactly to same, the same, to provide protection and advocacy through this one-to-one um, connection between a person living a pretty good life and a person vulnerable to disability discrimination. Mm-hmm. In the Atlanta area, there is an office. We are Citizen Advocacy of Atlanta and DeKalb. Okay. We have a, a local people make up our board of directors. There are people where we sit who are neighbors right here who, who serve as board members for the organization. Mm-hmm. And the staff is made up of two people, myself and my colleague, Aaron Lichke. Mm-hmm. Um, our job, Aaron and I, is to go to the places where we know people are likely to be at risk of this type of social exclusion okay. or where abuse or neglect might be happening. And, mm-hmm. and in every community... There are, are there are places where people who have disabilities are segregated wow. and set apart from the dominant community. Um, there people are hidden. Um, there are places you know you might notice day programs or group facilities. There are institutions still. Oh. They're smaller yeah. in degree um, a lot, but there's still, there's still that institutional mindset. Um, there are facilities, nursing facilities where people you might imagine should never be, and you know, younger people still winding up because they're born with a certain, um, syndrome. Um, and it's not that professional services aren't needed. Unfortunately, what happens for a person identified with a disability um, part of the woundedness of this co- this construct called social devaluation is where you and I, without disabilities, we enter in and out of client roles, mm. right? Yes. You are you are you are a professional. You personally have clients. Right. However, 
those individuals, that's not the only role they serve. Right. Um, you know, we think, you know, they're, they're mo- mothers or friends or employees or employers or artists or, or whatever. They're varied roles. Yeah. Person with a disability is likely to identify, be identified from the time they are born um, as separate and placed into a client role, not for short periods of time, yeah. but consistently. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, there's a great likelihood that it, it, thinking about how our, our, our culture serves people, mm-hmm. that people are can be put in groups as clients, mm-hmm. and that's how they spend their lives. For example, we are here in Candler Park. And they're, they're even in Candler Park, where people are, are very progressive and very thoughtful and very compassionate about their neighbors. There is a facility right here within a mile of where we are sitting, yeah. where people who are adults with developmental disabilities are, are essentially wasting their lives hmm. that they go day in. A bus may pick them up from home filled with other people with disabilities. They're taken to a place and adults will sit in a room with things that look very childlike in terms of coloring or beach balls um, with a lot of people around them who who are not thinking in a personal way about what could benefit from that person or people. And I've known people even in this particular wonderful community who for 40 years have done nothing other than that. And because people are out of sight Mm -hmm. from the dominant community, we, we don't know. Right. And we don't know that people's lives are being wasted. We don't know that people, um, we don't even consider that people have aspirations and people have dreams Mm. and imagine themselves apart from the group. There's no other, again, this is all a part of social devaluation. There's no other group of people um, that we can think about consistently who we think all belong together, no matter, just you have a disability, so you belong here. I'm an African-American woman. In, for all practical sense, if anyone said, well, you're a 50 plus year old African-American woman, you can only work with, be with, spend your time with other 50 some year old African-American women mm. and nowhere else. That's where that's where you can be right. in any other people group. We would see that as discrimination. Correct. And segregation. And segregation. Yes. For people often who are labeled with disabilities, congregation and segregation is the norm. Mm. From special education classrooms, right? From services, from therapies, it's all very separate. Citizen advocacy says, well, some of those things are necessary some of the time. Right. However, that is not the pattern for a typical life. And the, the very thing that makes our life rich is when we have people in our lives who know us and care about us and are willing to speak up on our behalf. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly separated from community, it's very, very hard to have people around you who can act on that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just hits my heart. (laughs) You know, hearing about that. Oh, I can't even. So with, with those individuals, like how, how do they get to be in the program? Like Mm -hmm. do then, 
go to their family. So for the person who has a disability, sometimes there isn't family. Okay. Uh, right. Sometimes okay. there isn't love. You don't have loved ones who can protect you, and um, which is often how you wind up in these segregated places. Okay. That, okay. And so going to those places and really looking for the person who's most at risk of that ongoing isolation is what we do. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we hear from people that that someone may be experiencing abuse or neglect, okay. and we we in in we go and we are really a proactive organization we are not a referral based organization Um, if some often if someone is calling to say I've got a client who has this going on it really is well you're already acting in an advocate capacity perhaps we can help you think broader about how to include other people in someone's life so we're in metro Atlanta Um, my colleague and I doing this work where there are 2 million people. Mm, yeah. 20% of every person is likely to have be a person who has a disability. Oh wow. We are looking and by the way that's even a, that's consistent with national statistics. Okay. So as we think about why is this important? Yes. One in five persons is likely to be a person who has a disability yeah. whether we see it or not. Um that gives us pause to think that there's a great need, right? For mm-hmm. if, if, if our attitudes and assumptions are have not changed through the years about disability and disability, there's an, this increased opportunity for all of us to experience. I mean, we're in Atlanta. You got one trip around 285 that yeah. might, yeah. <laughs> you know, like things could change radically. Yeah. And so we asked the question, what would we want if that were me? Now right. think about that again, on the eve of election, if 20% of the population are people with the disabilities, if people with disabilities were empowered to go to the polls yeah. or have the polls come to them to vote, how different might our policies be surrounding disability? Mm-hmm. It is something that impacts all of us at yes. some time. Yes. And empowering, like you said, I mean, that would be incredible because we need to have their voices. We can think of it as, oh, they need community, so let's put them in these little groups so they have each other. But if it's not individualized, it's not anything other than that. They have no richness of variation of their experience. I just, oh, my gosh. Not so, only are the people who have disabilities missing out, the community right. is missing out right. on the gifts that so many people, um, Aaron and I meet people who are brilliant artists who, who t- or tell stories or just their presence, just their presence often brings about a, a different sense of how people respond to one another. Um, what we really need is more love and more compassion. This is honestly, this isn't rocket science. Right. This is a love thy neighbor. This is who is my neighbor and how might I come alongside of them? So my job is literally and Aaron's job is literally to go to find the people who can understand that this is your neighbor. Yes. And this is your opportunity to engage your neighbor in a personal way. Now we say it's one-to-one citizen advocacy, Mm -hmm. that meaning that we, we specifically and strategically are looking for the right person to become that another person, citizen advocate. And once that connection is made, the hope is that the person who is the citizen advocate advocate informing that relationship can then begin to bring the person who has the disability yeah. into the wider community, right? whatever their concerns are, or their gifts are, and look through the community, what are the natural ways that we care for one another? Right. 
if if and so we we did a statistic 20 percent of the population are people who live um, with a disability mm-hmm. only 17 percent of those individuals are people who have jobs oh. and particularly meaningful jobs now think about that yeah. it's almost a flip number right right meaning most people who have disabilities do not work. It isn't because they don't want to work. Mm. It's because as a culture, we have an assumption that people either can't or don't want to work. Right. How the, how the disability world thinks about that is, well, you need, you need this specialized training Mm -hmm. and there are these specialized entities and services that can do that. Mm -hmm. But that's really counterintuitive to how all of us get jobs. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, it, you, by connections. It's by you, connections. You, right. So if you're a person who doesn't have connections, if you're a person who doesn't know, no one knows your gifts, you're not likely to have right. a job. Just sometimes being in places, you hear things, right? If you're looking for a job, just right. being in a place, yeah. you go, hmm, maybe I should apply. Or yes. So advocates can do things out of out of just ordinary means to help people be connected in community. Mm -hmm. So if I have a friend who happens to have a disability, who maybe has a great gift of hospitality, maybe that that's something that I know that that person's gift is. And they're show that person is showing up with me in the places where I ordinary go, because that's what I do with my friends, right? We hang out, we We do things. Yeah. Other people around me are likely to have similar gifts, right? Because Mm -hmm. common gifts kind of show up together. Right. And now you have a person who's presenting not or not necessarily a resume or, or say voc rehab is finding something, but in the natural, ordinary way of, hey, Sally here is really interested in doing X, Y, and Z. And there seems to be an opportunity here. Do you know anybody? Right. That's what I mean by ordinary yeah. means. And there are advocates who are who do um, go through systems mm-hmm. because we need those systems. Our tax dollars pay for right. these systems that people should benefit from. Right. But without someone to move the pendulum often, to break through the red tape, right. <laughs> to to articulate someone's story in a in a in a dignified way, it's sometimes hard pressed to happen. Right. Right. Can I tell you what that looks like in, in terms of a story? Yes, Just a quick please. story. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so citizen advocates are, are, are paired with a person to bring their interests into the wider community. And we think about these in terms of just ongoing relationships, mm-hmm. um, right? If you have a disability, you're going to have a disability. Right. Obviously, the kind of attitudes and assumptions our culture has is not changing. Mm-hmm. So people become citizen advocates. We orient them them to the wider picture of what social devaluation looks like in America, what disability looks like in America, but to the specific needs of a person based and they're brought together based on interests. There are people who have been matched in these relationships for decades, Mm. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and now 40 years. There's still several relationships. We bring people together and um, we try to move back enough out of the picture so that the the relationship can move and grow on its own. We support the advocate in the relationship from behind. um, And that's different for every relationship. We, we think that people, we really do think that people have the capacity to do things and can when they're empowered to do so. And so we're trying to empower them to stay in relationship and not be in the way advocates while are recruited by the citizen advocacy program to be in relationship with someone who has a disability, they are not, 
they are not volunteers to the organization. One of the things that we highly value is an advocate's independence. Mm. That's why we go to people. You're walking through your community, making things happen on your own. We want you to use those same skill sets here. And we want this to be as organic as possible. You are independent. You and this person can figure these things out. We'll support you from behind. It also protects them. Um, to be able to speak up on someone else's behalf. There's no one that can say, come to the citizen advocacy program, for example, and say, hey, get your advocate off of our case. Mm. That person is acting out of their moral responsibility to another individual and they own the relationship, not the citizen advocacy program. So people are free from those kinds of conflict of interest from like family, from organizations, from agencies, the relationship is theirs. Um, it also protects the citizen advocacy program. Mm-hmm. We are an independent organization mm-hmm. and we can move throughout our community operating independently that yeah. way. So bringing two people together, um, the, a brief story of Gail and Nick. Um, and I tell this story, it's one of the stories that has existed now for 39 years. Nice. Um, Gail was a young woman. Uh, she's has a has someone who is identified as having an intellectual or learning disability. Um, one of the things that Gail was having difficulty with was managing money. How many of us probably need oh, support please. in that area? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, um, exactly. But if you have an intellectual disability and your life depends on that small check that you get in your social security monthly, it's really important to have someone that can be an ally because when you're poor, you have a disability. She's a woman. She's mm. a black woman. Oh, you know, like no. all the little the layers being piled up. on. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a she was being taken advantage of to a very significant degree by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that if she was able to pay her rent monthly, um, often when this happens quite frequently for people with disabilities, um, you might pay your rent to your landlord, mm-hmm. and the landlord will say, "Well, no, you didn't give me money." It happens. Oh it, it, it is a God. thing. There's so many things that people They're just experience. flat out lied to them. They, they're flat and they out. they don't think to say like, okay, I, here's my check number. I know I paid you. You cashed it. Cha-ching. It, like, ex- no, they just. You oh. have a disability. People who have disabilities, particularly intellectual disabilities, particularly people who are, are people of color and, and you're poor, you are not believed. So yeah. the landlord says this. And you say the opposite, you have no redress. So having someone to give voice to that and what that meant for Gail specifically, it was happening quite frequently because Mm -hmm. of the community that she was in, you know, not very honest landlords would put her out every month. She'd have to find a place to live. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a thing. It's a real thing for people with disabilities. so what what the coordinator knew, you know, early on is one of the ways that Gail might be protected is if there was someone who could help protect her finances. Right. And so a person who has um, receives a Social Security check is entitled to legally have someone called a representative payee. Mm. That means that your check goes in a bank account with this other person's name on it and they help you manage the money. And so a man named Nick was invited to be Gail's representative payee pretty early on. And at the time, Gail was a young mom, literally had just had a baby. Um, Nick 
watching over finances, constantly being a part of Gail's life um, with her and the children, um, got to see her children grow, um, protected her, Gail, from having her child taken away oh. on, on any number of occasions in some pretty interesting ways. Um, when a really interesting dynamic when you are a parent who has an intellectual disability, often your children, particularly, you know, 39 years ago, would be perceived as also having a disability. Even if they were not tested Even as if such. They, right. Exactly. Hmm. And if you're in a you know, poor neighborhood, poor community, you know, education is, is not the greatest anyway. And the, and, and actually Gail's daughter did not have an intellectual disability, but was being treated as such. Wow. But because Nick, Gail's advocate had been in the life of this family, yes. knew that this child um, at seven years old was pretty typically developing intellectually. Instead of, you know, he attempted to address the local school system, which still didn't seem like a good idea for Gail's daughter, decided, well, what would I do if it were me? Well, I would send my child to a place that she, her gifts would be used and she could be educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nick actually found a place uh, uh, which was then pretty radical, a boarding school for this young girl um, who here in Atlanta, she was being sent to special education classes. Um, she finished school as her class president. What? Nice. Yeah. Oh, I have chills. One person can make that kind yeah. of a difference. Mm-hmm. Nick, the advocate, a couple of years ago, um, and, and he's growing older and he had some surgery. He had, uh, I think, hip replacement surgery. Still connected in Gail's life, um, still helping to make making sure that all manner of things are being protected. Mm-hmm. That little baby mm-hmm. grew up and she was the one who helped Nick when he had his surgery to even oh. drive around and doing his work. Yeah. Like the circle of relationship yeah. spans. When she got married, it was Nick that walked her down the aisle. Oh. Oh, the daughter. The, the daughter. Yeah. yeah. Because it's relationship yes. building. Yeah. Most recently. He was um, in her life and it, meant that to her, you know. Exactly. There strangers who might never have met, but mm. came alongside of someone who cared. But here's the, here's the long-term piece that's really powerful in this story with Gail. So Gail, her entire life has um, had this disability. And um, Gail's father died when she was 10 years old, is my understanding. Mm. Um, a year, two years ago, um, as governments do, um, people who are usually dependent upon services are the people who get played. Mm-hmm. And um, Gail fell into that, that group of people whose Social Security was being taken away. Mm. It's only 740 some dollars a month is what she has to live on. And that gets taken away because a bureaucrat says this group of people or whatever doesn't need to happen. Wow. It's a thing. It's another one of those things that you get, right, right? (laughs) Think about that. Um, But having Nick in her life, Gail's not a woman who, you know, can get in a car, drive down to the Social Security office, articulate the issue, present her documentation. So Gail and Nick go off to Social Security. They do it a couple of times and and they wind up at the desk of someone who Nick, who can tell the long story, Mm -hmm. um, tells to the person working at the Social Security office. And the person behind the desk is in the computer and he's looking and he goes, wow. So Gail's father died when she was very young. 
you know, she she never received her father's death benefits. She's now in her early 50s. Yes. Okay. She never received her father's death benefits from when she, that she was entitled to from when she was young. Yes. So now the conversation changes from, okay, you guys need to give Gail the money that she, her social security benefits that she was given. And you need to be looking at the time frame from which Gail did not receive benefits from her father's death yes. as her citizen advocate. Nick sat in that social security office patiently, but intentionally and deliberately ins- insisting that whatever needed to be done for Gail to get the resources that she was entitled to to be done. Wow. That is not a voice she would have had on her yeah. own. Yeah. This literally just happened last year. And I wonder if they would even, ha- and this is maybe negative of me, but they would even have told that to her. Do you know, they would have maybe already made that decision in their head. Well, she's not going to get this. Uh, this is just more work for me. Not that they would have malintent of like, I don't want this woman to get this money that she's owed. But like, do you know, I can see that not happening if he wasn't there to receive that information and, and follow up on it, you know? You're absolutely right. So here's one of the things that we say to citizen advocates that you are going to face a great deal of ineptitude and a great deal of indifference within the human services system. Your role is to help this person walk through that, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it, it is, it is a process. Can a person who's, who's been living on $743 and what the social security um, system actually did was they're not going to give you a lump sum of money, but they, they pretty essentially doubled what she was getting uh, monthly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been happening. Do you think that's life changing? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, But again, to have Nick's guidance to be like, okay, let's budget this. Let's think about that. You know, this is going to allow you more opportunities, but you have to be smart with it. And, you know, I mean, I think that's still valuable. Exactly. And he's doing just that. Most importantly is to listen to say him say how much he loves this woman. Mm. And can I say, when we think about how this looks, what this looks like in terms of the broader community, honestly, Nick is a white man who lives in North side of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Gail's an African-American woman who lives on the South side. If you live in our community and you hear oh. this, I would assume are, that they would be living at least like closer together. They no. didn't, they, they at the time early on, just because of the way the traffic flowed and where Nick's office was, right. he was close to her. He's older and retired now. When they started, they were closer together. Okay. And he has helped her find places to live and they are on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing keeps her, keeps him away from getting in that car to go to see him. Most often we're talking about neighbors and neighbors. Yes. Um, neighbors become more than just a geographic thing. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful. That's oh. what citizen advocacy looks like. And that, I mean, I feel like this question may be silly, but I still would love to hear your answer. So I can definitely see the benefits of the program for the individuals um, and and through Nick's story, you know, the, for the advocates as well. But what about the community or the society at large? Like even expanding it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nick's would be a good story. So uh, Nick's job, um, he is a real estate broker mm-hmm. and um, there is a there is a building and it may still be there at 75 North on I-75 over on that side of town. So his office was there for years. 
Now, Gail's life would have been sitting, you know, just sitting at home or sitting in her apartment. One of the ways that Nick thought that he could both bring dignity to Gail and to expand how the community viewed her was he actually just set up an office for Gail in his office, oh, this big glass tower. Nice. Gail could come, get on Marta and come to the office. And everyone in that building knew this woman who they probably wouldn't have let in the door ordinarily, was a friend of Nick's. She could go into that office and do whatever she wanted to do. It was her space. Because what Nick knew is that everybody, adult people, need something valuing and and productive to do during the day. And while everybody else might have been being realtors, The idea of going someplace where people dress up and they can go into the break room and they can meet one another and socialize is an opportunity that Gail had because this ordinary man thought, this is something that I can do. Didn't cost him anything. But it, it, it not only gave Gail an opportunity to be around typical people doing typical things, it gave them an opportunity to know her. I just got to believe that that changed the lives of dozens of people in that office yeah. of how they perceive people who have disabilities and what people can do. Yes. That makes our community a more just and hospitable place. Yes. I so agree. I remember one of the most important lessons I think I had when I was at Northwestern in my grad school program, we had this um, day and maybe even have been a few days we had to pull, you know, name out of a hat kind of thing, but, we'd pick a disability. And so my disability, whatever it was, I remember I just had to be in a wheelchair. Now this is downtown Chicago. You had to go out and spend a few hours, either go to the mall, cross the street, to interact with people in your wheelchair. Some people had to pretend they did not have use of their dominant arm for 24 hours. So they'd have to brush their teeth with their other hand and do everything with one hand. Um, what was another one? Or, you know, someone had a crutch and they were out on crutches all day. Well, I remember it was so eye-opening for me for just even that, you know, couple hours mm-hmm. that I was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I'm literally talking, no person looked mm-hmm. me in the eyes. No mm-hmm. one. I went up and we went exactly. in. I was sitting, you know, you're at the height of the counter to begin with and you're trying to make your order. I don't even have a, you know, I have nothing on to even say like, oh, my leg's broken. And they would look over my head. They look at the person that I was with. And then just the fear of going out and being in the community and trying to cross this busy street, it was it was really eye-opening. I know you said there's no training or, or preparation really for people who want to be advocates, but is there any kind of, um, like you said, orientation or something sure. that kind of goes yeah. on? Yeah, we, we try to spend enough time with people in a face-to-face way mm-hmm. that um, they can understand what we're asking and what expectations are. Um, We continue to support the match once it's made. Mm -hmm. So advocates have complete access to us with questions and we try to have opportunities to bring advocates together so they can learn from one another or, uh, you know, sometimes there's some technical support. We bring people in to, to engage advocates and to help connect people to this, to the broader sense of What's going on in your community as it relates for people with disabilities? Your personal experience is terrific. Um, you know, that that would be a way for a person to learn. Walk in someone's shoes or roll in, in someone's wheels for today just or sit alongside of their their bed in a facility. And you get a sense of 
wow, what does the smell like in this place sound like? Yeah. Is this the way I'd want my life to be day after day? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why if you're, when you're with someone who's using a wheelchair, is the waiter looking at you and asking you what this person wants to right. eat? Right. right. Why is this person yelling at you when you sit in the wheelchair as if your ears don't are, work? Are, yeah. Like I'm not deaf. <laughs> all of these things. But these are these are serious um, ways that we um, continue to really keep people apart from us. Just the notion as a society that we think, you know, a person with a disability is sick. Yeah. No, they're not sick. Yeah. They're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. You know, there doesn't, they don't need to be cured. And so we can begin to have people um, just think that this is just a part of who someone is. It isn't the total essence of who they are, right. that um, this part of their body may work differently than yours or the, this thinking process works differently. It's just different. Right. And it's a small difference. Mm. We're human beings. There's much more alike about us than yes. are different. And I think for the wider community, what citizen advocacy does is to help our community see that we all need each other. We all have gifts to bring to the table and we are much more alike than different. Oh, yes. So looking at the advocates, is there, um, and I, I would hope to change this if there is a certain age or demographic that you see of people helping out now, what is that? Like, I mean, as far as people that are becoming advocates, are they older? Are they more established or... It's as different as the person who, uh, okay. everything, what drives what we do is the person who has the disability. Mm-hmm. So whatever that specific likelihood of, uh, of a success in an advocate, that's what we're looking for. Okay. So a person with, our priorities are uh, people for matching are people who are, have developmental disabilities. That typically means they were disabled before the age of 22 and that disability somehow is ongoing mm-hmm. and could get in the way of like typical life experiences. So the person with a disability could, in fact, we've recruited advocates for a child who was not born yet. We've recruited advocates for people in their 80s. Mm. The right person is the right person. Mm. So usually a person who is an advocate is going to be someone who is at least an adult, but not necessarily. It could be, we would not rule out the possibility that a young person has what it takes (laughs) to be an ally for someone. Right. The idea is that we could bring, we could, we could create enough diverse relationships where people are showing up in different parts of our community that the model of inclusion is happening all over, right. not in one spot. Right. So advocates aren't going to just come from Candler Park right. <laughs> or Inman Park or Midtown um, because we're going to recruit the people with the disabilities from all over the community. Okay. Um, certainly people who who probably begin with a, a, a wee bit of thought about social justice and inclusion are going to likely hear this and be drawn to it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, we've gone to people who the thought has never occurred to 
and they go, Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yes, I can, I can connect with someone. And right. because we're coming to you initially based on who we know you are, there's not a pool of advocates waiting to be advocates. Yeah. It's all very one to one, very specific to the person who has the disability. Do you allow people to come in and say, like, say, after hearing this podcast, if people are interested and they want to pair up with someone, could they still go to you and just to start that process and let you get to know them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So how we think about um, educating people one on one, we do the typical community groups or, yeah. you know, a church group or neighborhood association, we can talk to people uh, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is real life stuff. A lot of what we do happens over breaking bread and sharing a cup of tea, um, because we want it to feel as natural as possible. Right, mm-hmm. right. Are there other ways to help if someone, you know, isn't in a position or isn't at the right time of their life, maybe to become an advocate, they may be interested, but for whatever reason, they just think they don't have the time or they don't have the whatever. Um, You know, what are there other opportunities to help? Sure, there are plenty of opportunities. We are a 501c3 organization. Our funding is raised typically one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, people care about what they, we do and they will send a check or, you know, make a donation. That is a really big way to help continue this work to go. So certainly, um, donations. Um, the other really big thing that happens is for people to listen. Mm. and to people to become connectors in their communities. So there are just two of us who are paid staff people um, in a very large community. The eyes and ears of our community in terms of Oh, people, you know, I'm, there's a, there's a woman that I see walking down the street. You know, I don't know what the deal is. And we go, okay, well, maybe you can point her out to us. Or as we go to people and we present someone's story, Mm -hmm. we ask, who do you know? Who do you know that would have these qualities or characteristics as a potential advocate for a person? Mm -hmm. Is there someone that you could direct us to? That's a, that's a tremendous way to help. Um, Right now, uh, we are actually, we're looking for an office space. Okay. We have a very tiny budget, um, and we're hoping, even if someone's listening, if you're in Metro Atlanta and you have a spare office space, uh, you know, you've got a few square feet with some walls, we need a landing <laughs> Two space. Two chairs and a Two, desks, yeah, yeah, we need a landing space. And, you know, we we literally look to our community yeah. to, to help you. We think it's something of value. Um, we think that the kind of support that is sustainable is through ordinary people. Yeah. Um, like I said, our board members and our, our, our advisory board and core group people, they are people who live in this community. Yeah. And those are ways that people, some ways that people can help. Oh, that's We've got an event scheduled on November 29th. Correct. We've got an event scheduled on November 29th in Atlanta. Monday Night Garage is hosting um, a fundraiser for citizen advocacy. Oh, um, nice. I think we'll be down between six and nine on November 29th, and we're going to have some fun. We're doing a pop-up for change. Oh, nice. DJ, beer, food, Great. lots of fun. We're trying to keep the social and social change. So yeah. uh, we, we <laughs> hope good. that you um, guys will listen and spread that out. We also, we've got an annual event um, 
We call it dining for change. Okay. And speaking of being in this neighborhood, uh, this will be our seventh uh, year. Um, and we are, we are thinking we actually are moving into another location this year. Uh, the radio cafe here in Candler Park had hosted the event for years and oh. Frank is no longer there. So we're looking for a new space for that event, but it has been a very successful evening in our community where people can come and share some of their stories together and break bread together. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. What inspires you? Um, People. People and their stories. It really is about people. Mm Mm-hmm. Gosh, you know, I'm sure you have great stories. Just what you shared with Nick and Gail. I mean, I just, it's so eye opening to know what the people that you work with with disabilities, like what they deal with. And I mean, like you said, like I said, I have a a minor glimpse more at the physical disability part, but, um, gosh, I just, yeah. And, and just the redeeming ways that people help and step up, like you said, other for no other reason, but just because they want to. It's the right thing to do. Exactly. Like that's just so inspiring. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Any other, um, parting thoughts? I think it's important for us to remember to look beyond our own doors. If, if citizen advocacy isn't a way that you could, you think you could express yourself in the world as it relates to disability Mm -hmm. for people who have disabilities, I think it's certainly a way that you could express yourself to whomever your neighbor is. Is there an opportunity? Can you slow down enough to look and see who lives in your community Mm-hmm. Is there an extra chair possibly at your table? Mm-hmm. Who is, if you look around you, who's who's not showing up and why? And I think it's just if we can, if we can be intentional and if we can um, extend compassion to everyone, we will absolutely tear down the negative rhetoric that is resonating through our country at the moment. Yes. It's really basic. Love thy neighbor. Yes. Amen. <laughs> oh, I, that makes my heart sing. Oh, gosh. What? I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this has just been amazing. I, I had no idea that you existed in this wonderful, wonderful work that you do. And so I am hoping with this podcast that this will just open everyone's eyes and whoever's listening and maybe inspire a few people to reach out and, and try to partner with you to continue this, you know, this good work that you do. And I just, I hope that anything that shows us to stay curious, you Mm -hmm. know, and just Mm -hmm. what is someone else experiencing? What are the gifts that each of us have in this lifetime to share? And I I honor you so much. I'd like to give you um, some time now to tell us the best way to contact you or to find out more if people would like to donate their time or their, you know, their finances or money to, to citizen advocacy. We are pretty easy. It's citizen advocacy of Atlanta and DeKalb. Google us or the Facebook uh, citizen advocacy. Think it's a Facebook citizen <laughs> advocacy. I, I'm, I'm not the social media person, so that's bad. But uh, our website is citizen advocacy, Atlanta, DeKalb.org. Okay. Telephone four zero four five. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us here. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this.